Welcome to Face Your Faith with West Kenyon. It is our hope that today's study will encourage you to grow deeply in your relationship with God as we study the Word together. Now let's join West for today's study. This week we are going to look at the account of Noah and specifically that of the flood and the ark. And this is going to be more than likely uh, somewhat of a controversial topic and for a good number of reasons, but I hope you stick with this to its conclusion. As I have previously mentioned, I believe it is very important that we as believers fully understand the accuracy and true meaning of the many accounts and testaments of what we have turned into familiar stories that have been sanitized for kids and adults alike. The account of Noah is quite disturbing in many respects and even controversial with several things that are simply difficult to naturally understand and a few things we can't fully explain. But just because we can't fully explain something does not in any way make it untrue. God's Word is vast in its fullness and a considerable amount of what we read can only be taken on faith. Just as we have to take the reality of God and Jesus, fully God, fully man, and the spirit form of God at face value for being three in one. At this point, if you are simply unwilling to accept that God and his word can only be owned and understood on faith and faith alone, you might want to ask yourself, is there any point to even listening to the remainder of this message? And this is the simplicity of God and his word. Either you take God's word as truth by faith or you do not. And if you take God's word at face value as the truth, you will grow in that experience and acknowledge God. And the same holds true in the opposite direction. So what does this have to do with Noah? Well, we need to start at the beginning of this amazing account and why God did what he did in the first place. And so begins our controversy as we begin reading from Genesis 6, 1 through 8. When human beings began to increase in number on the earth, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with humans forever, for they are mortal. Their days will be a hundred and twenty years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went to the daughters of humans and had children by them. They were the heroes of old, men of renown. The Lord saw how great the wickedness of the human race had become on the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of the human heart was only evil all the time. The Lord regretted that he had made human beings on the earth, and his heart was deeply troubled. So the Lord said, I will wipe from the face of the earth the human race I have created, and with them the animals, the birds, and the creatures that move along the ground, for I regret that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Let's pause there and address the elephant in the room at this point, which is those Nephilim. For as long as I have been presenting God's word, one of the top five topics I am asked to address is the Nephilim. Who are they? What are they? Why are they in the Bible? And why don't we know more about them? And what happened to them? Now, because this is a topic not about Nephilim, but about the ark and the flood, I am going to keep this very brief. It's true, we know very little about the Nephilim, but have a lot of theories and stories that span the gamut. And because we just have a bunch of just theories from a lot of different people, we need to get one thing straight as we keep going. So here's my commentary on the commentaries. We don't have any defined answers in God's word on who the Nephilim were. And we only know one thing for sure, 
and that of what is directly indicated in God's Word. We have wording such as, The sons of God saw that the daughters of humans were beautiful, and they married. It goes on to say they had children with these women, and they were the heroes of old and men of renown. So we begin with the phrase, quote, sons of God, which is just not clearly defined in Scripture anywhere. And so we can only suggest and guess as to what this exactly means, which only serves to fully take away from what we are truly supposed to see, I believe, in this passage from Genesis on Noah. However, we do have a very good understanding that the name Nephilim means fallen, which is very fascinating to me and telling about the entirety of the Nephilim. And as for these Nephilim, being heroes of old and men of renown, does not automatically indicate that they were heroes or renowned because they did anything God-honoring. Consider there are certainly many people past and present and will be in the future who are heroes and renowned by the standards of the world, but not in the sight of God. The world, and sadly many Christians, have heroes or who think they are heroes themselves and who are renowned or think they themselves are renowned and in no way honor God in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I will go so far as to say that if we as believers subscribe to earthly heroes, we are incapable of living a God-honoring life. And I say this because there is only one true hero, if you will, and that is God himself the one and only Jesus Christ who overcame death. What hero of yours has ever done anything even close to that? And that is just one aspect of what Jesus, God, has done for us. He then pardoned us from eternal separation from himself in heaven and keeps us from Satan when we simply trust in him, Jesus, fully God, fully man, and make him our hero. We know that whoever the Nephilim were, God was not pleased with them or the marriages and the kids that were coming from these relationships. And we see that very clearly when God says, I regret I ever made people. Even more controversy, does that mean that God is admitting he made a mistake? And if God made a mistake, that proves he is indeed not perfect and not all-knowing and that he had to see it, to believe it, and understand it? Not at all, because there is no indication in that statement from God that he was unaware. It simply says he regrets it and that he was going to scrap the current process and order and start over. By the way, you have done that more than once in your life, I'm certain. You have done something and knew full well that it would not work out as you desired and hoped. And when it came apart, you sometimes completely abandoned it or you simply restarted. And why? Because you really loved it. And this is the same idea we see with God here. He didn't want to abandon his people project, and he even knew it was going to be the same mess after the flood, but he so desires relationships with us and wants us to come to him, to live with him, that he is going to give us a second chance, just like the city of Nineveh. But it is critical that I mention again, these first eight verses of this passage so often become a huge topic of discussion that often leads many astray from seeing what needs to be seen. And that is where we are going to go now. The big picture, the pertinent picture, the critical picture of why this account is in God's Word. So is this first part in God's Word to trip us up? Again, no. It is there to give us more detail as to why God did what He did. And this remarkable account and journey begins in Genesis 6-9 and through to Genesis 9-17.
Due to the length of these messages, I am going to use only parts of the text to highlight for this particular message. I do encourage you, however, to read the entire passage at the conclusion of this message. We will begin reading in Genesis 6:11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on the earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people. For the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. So make yourself an ark of cypress wood. Make rooms in it and coat it with pitch inside and out. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long, 50 cubits wide, and 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all the way around. Put a door in the side of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper decks. I am going to bring floodwaters on the earth to destroy all life under the heavens, every creature that has the breath of life in it. Everything on earth will perish, but I will establish my covenant with you, and you will enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. You are to bring into the ark two of all living creatures, male and female, to keep them alive with you. Two of every kind of bird, of every kind of animal, and of every kind of creature that moves along the ground will come to you to be kept alive. You are to take every kind of food that is to be eaten and stored away as food for you and for them. Noah did everything just as God commanded him. In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened. For forty days the flood kept coming on the earth, and as the waters increased, they lifted the ark high above the earth. The waters rose and increased greatly on the earth, and the ark floated on the surface of the water. They rose greatly on the earth, and all of the high mountains under the entire heavens were covered. The waters rose and covered the mountains to a depth of more than fifteen cubits. The waters flooded the earth for a hundred and fifty days. At the end of the hundred and fifty days, the water had gone down, and on the seventeenth day of the seventh month, the ark came to rest on the mountains of Ararat. By the first day of the first month of Noah's six hundred and first year, the water had dried up from the earth. Noah then removed the covering from the ark and saw that the surface of the ground was dry. By the twenty-seventh day of the second month, the earth was completely dry. Then God said to Noah, Come out of the ark. So Noah came out, together with his sons and his wife and his sons' wives. All the animals and all the creatures that move along the ground and all the birds, everything that moves on land came out of the ark, one kind after another. Then Noah built an altar to the Lord, and taking some of all the clean animals and clean birds, he sacrificed burnt offerings on it. Then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you, and with your descendants after you, and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the animals, all those that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I establish my covenant with you. Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. And this is where we will stop reading for now, as this sufficiently provides, I believe, the framework for what it is we need to see in this account of Noah and the flood. 
So let's go back now to our first couple of sentences, which read, quote, Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I am going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. This is quite the statement from God. Essentially, God said, everybody but a couple of you are rotten and disgusting, and I am fed up. Keep in mind, these are the people that were populating the earth from the time of Adam and Eve. And so we see clearly that because of what Adam and Eve did, that of eating the fruit, which brought sin into the world, everyone from that time on was corrupted by that original sin. We have proof right here that we are born into sin. And further, we see we are not only born into sin, but we keep perpetuating the sin generation to generation by our own free will. No one and no thing is forcing us into sin. It is a 100% choice on our part, second to second and day by day. Next, we notice God not only calls out the corruption, but violence. It was a rough time, evidently, and God wasn't pleased. I always wonder when I read this passage just how bad it was in Noah's time. Well, it must have been pretty bad, and for sure worse than it is today. Now, to what degree it was worse than this very day, we don't know, but it was worse. And how do we know that? Because God said so. Matthew 24, 37 states, As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Yes, and from this we also know that when it gets worse than it is today, Jesus will return. Now, I personally think that is excellent news. It's great. What I am not so fond of, however, is the fact that it is going to get worse. It's a promise. I really don't want that because there is so much dysfunction taking place right now. And sadly, I am one of the contributors of that dysfunction. However, there are also a ton of great things taking place right now, today. And for that, I am so grateful. What are some of these great things? For one, and the biggest thing of all is the fact that I am still able to tell the world about Jesus. For anyone willing to listen, and Jesus is still available for anyone to receive his gift, should they choose. That is the best news in the world. God is still waiting patiently and giving each of us more time to accept his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and Savior. Consider this. You have 86,400 opportunities every 24 hours to accept Christ for who he says he is and receive what he promises to give you if you ask and trust. That is truly stunning. And just where did I pull this erroneous number from? That is the number of seconds you are given every day to live. And from one second to the next, you can accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. Consider this. If you are 25 years old, you will have already had 788 billion opportunities to accept Christ. At 50 years old, you have had 20 trillion opportunities to accept Christ. And at 75 years of age, you will have had 492 trillion opportunities to accept Christ. That is a true sign of how patient our God is with each of us, considering we have 86,400 opportunities every day. And so many of us simply let those 86,400 opportunities go by. How many chances do you give people on a given day? Yes, God is truly patient and truly wants everyone to have an opportunity to come to him in full confession and wants a relationship with everyone. But it is all up to you.
And this was the same opportunity everyone had at the time God flooded the earth. And those living then had hundreds of years longer on earth, giving them quadrillions of opportunities to know and trust in God, just as Noah and his family did. Now we should also take into account how many people may, yes may, have been on the earth when God flooded the earth. And since God's word does not specifically say how many people there were, only an educated guess can be presented. However, there were people, and more than likely plenty of people, on the earth the day it flooded. Several scenarios suggest that the earth may not have been heavily populated due to the fact that if there was so much corruption and violence, as scripture states, it may have kept the population in check as there would have likely been wars, famines, disease, and a high murder rate due to these few examples, which also would probably account for many deaths. However, on the flip side of this, people lived a very long time. We know Noah was in his 600th year when the flood came, and he ended up living several hundred more years following the flood. Now, with that in mind, that gives us a pretty good possibility that living so long could very well mean the population could have been quite large, as in several billion people. And this based on our birth rate and population of the world in the early 2000s. So let's, for our purposes here, split the difference and say there are 2.5 billion people at the time of the flood. I personally think that is a substantial number of people to die in one go. Think about it this way. Today, the Earth has a population of 7.7 .7 billion people. That would be roughly losing half the world's population overnight if 2.5 billion people were wiped out. I think that would be an eye-opening experience. All that said, consider of the estimated population at the time of the flood, only eight, yes, eight were saved. Does that give you cause to pause? It does for me. And it brings several questions to mind, along with several passages to answer them. First question slash comment that is often made, how terrible of God to do something like that, just saving eight people out of all those people. Surely there were more good people on earth out of the potential several billion. Well, God is not interested in good people. He is interested in those who accept him and do what he says. God also states that there is no one good, no, not one, and that only one is good, and that is God. The next rebuttal is often God just goes around killing people all the time in the Bible for no good reason and doesn't give them any chance or warning. Well, he did indeed warn everyone and gave them a very extended chance to repent. In short, it took Noah 100 years to build the ark, and although there wasn't the instantaneous media we have today, word would have spread to a few billion people in 100 years that a crazy man was building a massive ship in the middle of dry ground with no water anywhere in sight. We also know that Noah preached about God prior to the flood and loved God, and there is no reason or evidence that he would stop telling people about God just because he started to build the ark. So already, even before God asked Noah to build the ark, people were at least hearing about God. So why would people not listen to Noah if he said, I'm building this massive boat and taking animals with me inside because God is going to flood the whole earth with rain and destroy it? Ask yourself, would you have listened to that crazy talk? Don't forget, up to this point, it had never rained. Water had never fallen from the sky. No one could imagine what that would even have looked like. But like the world this very second, few people of the seven plus billion are truly listening. And bigger than that, putting their complete faith in God for the accuracy of his word and for those who teach it. Same today, 
as it was then. Nothing's changed. Just like every one of us, believer in Christ or not, we can't imagine the same scenario that is on its way, which will be as impossible to understand for us as the flood was to fathom for those in that time. Acts 2.19.21 says, I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. The world is being warned and has been warned now for several thousand years. Now that rain will come indeed. And this time, however, it will be the reign of God, and He will reign for eternity. The world will never be the same again. And again, He will remodel the earth, but this time for the last time. And He will do it perfectly, just as He intended it to be from the beginning. So why aren't more people listening to this warning? Because there is no faith. There is no reason to believe, other than some silly book with a bunch of stories in it that talks about a lot of crazy things that just can't be true. This is probably how Noah was viewed by many people in his time. So right now, there are only going to be a few of the seven plus billion people who will be saved. Need more proof? Here it is. Jesus has made it very clear that he does not want anyone to lose their life because they did not heed the warning. We see clearly in scripture that God wants all to be saved, that none should perish. 2 Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But we see here there is a time limit to this and a time limit on your accepting Jesus for who he says he is. And questions surrounding this point have been around for a long time, very long time. And we see this in Luke 13, 22 through 25. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. Someone asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? Jesus said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, sir, open the door for us. Doesn't this sound exactly like what would have taken place during the flood? I can only imagine everyone laughing and mocking the eight people going on board this box packed with animals. Yes, I too can very easily imagine myself making fun of these eight people. I can easily hear myself saying to my friends and those nearby, these people are out of their minds. Until at such time the waters started to fall out of the sky. Remember, this was a weather phenomenon like nothing in history. Talk about record-setting weather. This certainly could have been a headline for the Weather Channel that day. Can you hear the reporter covering that event now? Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here live and we currently have water falling from the sky. We don't know what's happening here and the only thing we can say at this point, it appears to be climate change. And that was indeed climate change that day. Don't you think that when the water started falling from the sky, everyone started quickly putting faith in everything that Noah had told them? Can you hear the comments now? Oh no, this crazy guy was right. This is impossible. This can't be really happening. Oh, I believe now. I didn't mean what I said. I take it all back. And wouldn't it be quite logical that the people in the neighborhood where Noah was building the ark would have been pounding on the ark and begging to be let in, just as we saw in our scripture passage from 2 Peter. 
Help. Please save us. Don't let us die like this. Have mercy on us. Isn't it true that the ark only had one door to get inside, and compared to the size of the ark, it was a small opening, a very small door? Let's read again Luke 13, 24 through 25. Jesus said to them, Make every effort to enter through the narrow door, because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. Sounds reasonable, but too often we wait until it is just too late and the door has been closed. Genesis 7:16. Then the Lord shut Noah and his family in. He shut the door. Yes, God shut the door, and it was not going to be opened again. You had your chance. You had several quadrillion chances at that time. Everyone had 100 years to believe. The warning gave everyone plenty of time, but only eight listened and followed through in faith. Just like the flood and the preceding 100 years of warnings for those people, so the world today has been and is being warned and you will either choose or not choose to listen. And no one knew the hour or the day it would rain. And it didn't matter for all but eight because they didn't care and didn't believe. And this is how it will be coming up any time now. Matthew 24, 36 through 39. But about the day or hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark. And they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. There is our warning. And God even gave us the weather forecast for the day that is coming. The sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. Ah, you say, this is just religious scare tactics. One way in, only one door, a little door at that. Global flooding, a boat with animals, yeah, whatever. I need doors to choose from, and a little more foundational information before I buy into this stuff. Okay, can you prove the flood didn't happen? Can you prove Christ won't return? Are you positive this is just a joke? And we will stop there for now and pick back up with part two for the conclusion of this great account and warning to the world.